Everyone, good job. <clears throat> and grab your Bibles if you have them. And open up to Ezekiel 44. Even though the passage is on your notes, I still like to open the Bible. It's just helpful. As Terry said, um, uh, my name is Matt Candler, and this is my wife Dana, and we have two children. We have uh, uh, our firstborn, who is two years old. Her name is Madison Clairvaux, and she is with grandparents this weekend, having a wonderful time. And we just had a new baby boy, about three months old. His name is David Cairo. So we have Maddie Claire and David Kai Candlers. And so uh, uh, that's our family. He's a, huh? Oh. We named, uh, well, I'll start with Madison. Come on in. Don't be shy. Come on in and grab a seat. Um, Madison Clairvaux, her middle name, we named her after a Catholic saint of history, um, Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a powerful man of prayer, and his primary message that he gave himself to was the Song of Solomon. And he's probably the most renowned scholar, but lover of the Song of Solomon in all of history. And um, he was known for actually, um, arguably being at one time the most powerful man in all of history during his time. He had influence. He was the only man that was ever asked to be pope and denied it. And uh, he had influence over the three primary king. I'm giving away too much information. <laughs> I just love Bernard of Clairvaux. That's why I named my daughter after him. Okay, so moving on to David Kai. His middle name is Cairo. And uh, um, Cairo, yes, it's Cairo, Egypt. And we named him uh, David Cairo because um, as part of our... Um, not just Kansas City, but part of our generation's prophetic history is that the Lord um, has, Mike actually spoke about it last night, he is going to see to it that um, that he is going to change the expression and the understanding of Christianity in one generation. And the Lord had spoken to Mike, though he's undoubtedly spoken that to many others all over um, the earth in this time. But he spoke that to Mike in Cairo, Egypt. And Dan and I named him uh, after that um, um, because uh, it wasn't mostly because we believe he is a generation, though we do believe that. The primary reason, reason that we named him that was as a reminder to us of the responsibility that we have as parents to raise him up and to prepare him for that generation. And so he is a prophetic reminder to us to live wholeheartedly. And so... Um, those are our children, so love them dearly. Um, I am. Uh, I give leadership to the House of Prayer, the day-to-day operations. We have the, the House of Prayer divided up into what we call four sections. And in each section, we have uh, two or three section leaders. They're like shift supervisors that you might be familiar with in a corporation or in a... Um, like my dad, he worked for a Ford glass plant, and they had shift supervisors and... They oversaw the particular shift and all the things that happened um, in that. And so the section leaders are like that. And so we have uh, 6 a.m. to noon, noon to 6, and uh, uh, 6 p.m. to midnight, then midnight to 6 a.m. are the four six-hour sections. And um, I myself am a section leader in the 6 a.m. section. I've been prayer leading and giving leadership to that section for uh, nearly five years now. And uh, in addition to that, though, to being a section leader, I also oversee all of the sections with marvelous comrades. And so um, uh, I'm going to share today a little bit of some of the highlights 
of having been here. My wife Dan and I have been a part of IHOP since the beginning. We've been I've been here since um, May of '99, and she's been here longer. And uh, I'm just going to share some of um, uh, the highlights that I have received over the last five years in my leadership and watching the prayer room in our context emerge. And what I have seen, I've seen many people come and go, um, and I don't mean that they were all supposed to stay. Most people that come to IHOP are sent here for a short season by the Lord, and a few he sends to to plant and to spend uh, long years here. And we receive both freely and with open arms and open hands. And one thing that I have uh, seen over the years is just that continued tension between what is it that keeps us steady in the place of day-to-day prayer. And uh, the, the, um, the goal of a conference like this, one of the goals, is to come in and to inspire you um, that if we can do it, you can do it. If you can pull, if we can pull off weak prayer meetings, and I assure you that they are weak prayer meetings. All we got is a few more speakers. It's the only difference in some lights. And uh, if, if we, as weak and broken people, can do prayer meetings, we want you to leave feeling encouraged that you can do so as well. And I have the privilege of having been here from the very beginning and having seen the beginning forms of that weakness. And so I was leading prayer at 6 a.m. I was the prayer leader on a djembe. I can't play djembe. And with one other singer and one person on guitar, and we were the room. And we did that for quite a long time. And uh, so I know weakness in prayer, and I know joy in the place of weakness in prayer. And hopefully that uh, you will be encouraged, because my, my heart for this session is that you guys that are attending here as leaders, um, either leaders yourselves to... Uh, to see to it that prayer takes off in a, to the next level in your city or your church where you're from, um, or you are sent here by leaders as as the messengers, like to get the information, to bring it back, and to participate in launching more prayer meetings. And uh, my particular focus is intercession, intercessory prayer meetings today, and we'll get into that why in, in, a, in a few moments. But my, again, my heart is that you would be encouraged and that you would get a vision to be a part of a house of prayer in your city. And when I say to be a part of a house of prayer in your city, I don't necessarily mean everyone gathered in the same building by any means. I mean be a part of the concert of prayer with other believers that comes forth and rises from your city to heaven. It does not have to be your whole city in one in one room or a, or a large a large group. It can be two or three on a college campus. I I my heart's cry is to give validation to the place of this day in and day out uh, um, intercessory prayer meetings with even twos, threes, and fives that gather even two and three times a week for an hour. And I want you to leave feeling that 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 is the will of God for your life. Far more than holding up the flag that we're going to go 24-7 right now. And uh, just start with some prayer meetings and get some faithfulness and get a core built around you or around your team. And so I want to uh, just jump in. Let's look at the uh, introduction here. Let me pray first. Father, I, I ask you, as, as Terry prayed, for the spirit of revelation. Father, I ask for your spirit to come and to... And to take people just like this, the people that you work with, as weak as your own apostles were, Jesus, as weak as Elijah was in his frailty, you yourself said in your word that we 
have a frame exactly like Elijah with all of its propensities and pronouncements to distraction and and uh and and our own difficulties in staying steady through the years in prayer lord especially when it comes to staying steady in intercession with other people father i ask that you would give a a fresh understanding and enlightenment from heaven that the prayer movement would be birthed in a greater way in jesus name amen ezekiel 44 i have a passage there on your notes it's kind of an obscure passage if you've never read it before and uh, for those of you who haven't been to our prayer room, or those of you who have, we have this passage written up in huge letters across our wall. It's a little bit more edited than this, otherwise it would take up like the whole wall front to back. And it's it's an obscure verse if you've never seen it before. And um, it's uh, resisting 10,000 horses inside me to fully develop the glory of it, but I'm not going to. But I will give you a few hints in it. Um, because the takeaway point I want us to see is, is the esteem that God has for staying steady under pressure and difficulty corporately in the place of prayer. He describes two groups of people, two, two groups of leaders actually. Number one, he says, and you, speaking of the unfaithful group, have not kept the charge of my holy things. Speaking of attending to the ministry of ministering to the Lord in his temple. But in fact, you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary. Verse 13, jumping a few verses down, if you have your Bibles open. It says, but I did find you could add some some faithful ones. And they were the sons of Zadok who kept charge of my sanctuary. And, and the idea of keeping charge is they, they saw to the daily responsibilities that were not overtly exciting, mind you. They, they saw to it. They kept the charge. And they, they, they kept the charge because it was precious and sacred to the Lord. Not because it was overtly exciting to the eyes of men. Since they kept the charge, not only did they stay faithful, but they stayed faithful in ministering to the Lord in His sanctuary when all the others around them, the chosen people of God, when they were going astray. When it was unpopular to stay steady and the different... Um, uh, uh, rifts and relationships and the difficulties that it would cause to stay steady and faithful in the place of intercessory prayer. They kept the charge. And get this, moving on. It says, um, they, these sons of Zadok, who were faithful in their lifetime when the, the nation of Israel was going astray, when they were faithful in their lifetime, the um, uh, Jesus speaks concerning be, of the reward of their faithfulness in the age to come. Get this. He says, these same group who were not esteemed at all in the eyes of men, when the whole nation saw it as unnecessary to keep the charge and to stay steady in ministering to the Lord, he says, they shall, in the age to come, speaking specifically of the millennial reign of Jesus on the earth, when he returns, he's coming up, as we just sang in Justin's worship set, he's coming to set up a physical kingdom on the earth. And in that time frame, these sons of Zadok, who had kept the charge then, they will draw near to Jesus in his temple that he sets up on the earth, the throne in Jerusalem. They will come near to him and they will minister to him there. In other words, there was a continuity to what they did in their life that was not esteemed in the eyes of men. There was a continuity because of their faithfulness 
in, in, in their day, Jesus rewards them and says, because you are faithful in the small things then, I will let you do the same thing in the age to come and draw near before me. When all the nations of the earth and every person that's lived will want that, I will let them draw near to me and minister to me in that day. They will stand before me. They will enter my sanctuary and come near. Get this, the very last phrase. And they shall keep my charge. Interesting. What does that mean? When it says that, and they shall keep my charge, Jesus is making a statement that he knows they will be faithful then. Because faithfulness in the age to come is not automatic. It's still chosen. We won't fall away in the resurrection and we won't come up short in our salvation. But it's, it's not like we're given a computer chip and we go an automatic pilot to where, yes, I will obey you. And it's not like that. Otherwise, love wouldn't be realized. And so in the age to come, it says, Jesus makes this statement, they will keep my charge. He's saying, I have assurance that they will be faithful in that day because they were faithful in their own lifetime in the small things. It's a powerful passage. I take this passage very personal. Very personal. In Ezekiel 22, I don't have it on your notes, but the Lord describes himself as seeking for a man who will build for him a wall that he would stand in the gap, that he would not judge the nation, uh, his nation. He was seeking for a person to do this. These passages I take very serious. Not that I believe that because I'm, you know, full-time staff at IHOP KC that maybe if I do this I'll be able to have that same role. I don't, I wouldn't presume such a great honor. <laughs> Truly I wouldn't presume such a great honor. I hope that there'll be some continuity to my job description though. Whether it's that level or not, probably not. I'm gonna shoot for it though. But I want a continuity in my labors. Specifically in the place of prayer. And the reason we'll find, we'll discover is that the way, the reason it's so important specifically, the subject of intercession, regardless of your primary calling, the reason this is so important is because the uh, entirety of God's kingdom is run by worship and intercession. Everything that God does, He does through intercession. He forever lives to intercede before the Father. And we'll look at that a bit more later. So A, I'm trying to convince you guys to take it serious regardless, to take, to take the place of intercession. You, the, this is the working question for you. And as you go home, the working question for you is what is your sacred charge? The question I want all of us to ask is, Lord, what charge have you given me? And, and you might be tempted to say, well, there's not a house of prayer in my city. And well, okay, there is, but I don't want to go to it. Or it might be there's not a there's not a group of people I can connect with in a corporate way and intercede, and uh, and the Lord understands that, but He doesn't want that to replace the question. The question that we must ask is, Lord, what is my sacred charge in the place of prayer before You? Because it is the highest responsibility and privilege of the redeemed to actually govern before we're fully mature with the Lord through intercession. It's an incredible privilege. So that's the working question. What is your sacred charge? What does the Lord want you to do when you go home? The problem is most of us don't consider the question because we think it has to look a certain dynamic way. It's absolutely so simple and so profoundly weak that we presume that this couldn't be what the Lord wants because it's so seemingly foolish 
and difficult to stay steady. A, on the notes. The Lord is raising up leaders who will gather both themselves and His people to sacred assemblies of prayer and fasting. B, the day-to-day aspect of corporate intercessory prayer meetings sets up a context once you are participating in them in a regular way. There's a context that's set up to where each individual, you will find yourself frequently answering or at least asking the question, now why am I doing this? Like, you know, it's like in the morning, the alarm goes off. Now, why am I going in to pray with two other people who all of us know we're like totally unanointed and it feels mostly hard? Like, why am I doing this again? That question, the way that you answer that question is so critical in the staying factor and staying steady in the place of intercession. And so what I want to look at here is is uh, ways in which we can stay steady and answer that question. It's like working a muscle over and over and over again. Answering that question, it's like um, when that question arises, we answer it in truth and um, and in faith when we don't feel the power of it in our inner man. It's like we're writing, rewriting lines of code by declaring the scripture to our heart. And we remind ourselves of the preciousness of intercession before the Lord. Roman Normal 2. Before I jump into some of the pressures and pleasures that each of us will face in leading corporate prayer, we have to quickly define uh, sacred assemblies of fasting and corporate intercessory worship because they're big terms and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. We won't go through all of this, but you have the notes there so you can look at later. Key verse is Joel 2. And I've, I've, I've edited verses 12 to 28. Verse 12, the Lord says, Turn to me with all of your heart. With fasting, I'm going to just pause. With fasting, wait, wait, did he say fasting? With fasting, a portion of wholeheartedness, I'll say this different. There is not an an expression of wholeheartedness devoid of consistent fasting. It's not that we earn God's favor by fasting. Our fasting does not move God in the least bit. It's like not impressive at all. Because all you do is nothing. Right? You just sit there. It's like fasting is the most boring activity. It's nothing. On the front end, it's boring. So it doesn't move God's heart. Fasting moves your heart and my heart towards God. So it's a gift. It repositions us. So fasting is a is a tremendous gift and 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 a, and a pursuit of not the attainment of doing it perfect, but the pursuit of consistent fasting in our lives. Of which you have to ask the Lord about that. But the pursuit of it um, is an expression of a wholehearted seeking. Of which, if 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 our seeking of God is devoid of it, we are still lacking in a wholehearted pursuit. Which there's no condemnation for that. We could, all we have to do is start, and the way to start is simply by asking, Lord, I don't want to fast. If you're willing to make me willing, let's go for it. And that's where you begin. I just like to hit that. Dana and her sister Deborah will hit more on fasting and the fasted lifestyle tomorrow. So I encourage you to, if you don't have other plans to attend that or to pick up the CD. Another, other dimensions of, of wholehearted seeking after God. Wholeheartedness is declared in worship, but it's walked out through fasting, through weeping 
and through mourning. Not only, but significantly. And the weeping in the morning, I have weeping because of, I have, I have there in parentheses, poverty of spirit. And I like that because it, it's the first two descriptions of the Beatitudes. The constitution of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 5. Jesus says, you are, you should consider yourselves blessed, happy, if you feel poverty in your spirit and you have, and you're, and you're mourning and, and willing to take, uh, make radical changes because of that poverty. We will never graduate from poverty of spirit. No matter how great the glory of God gets before Jesus returns, Romans 8 says that we will always, while still in this body, groan for the resurrection. We will never be fully satisfied until the resurrection. There will always be a groan. There will always be more. Okay, so, verse 13. So rend, the word rend is to tear, tear your heart. And this is what the leaders are told to do, to consecrate a fast, to call a sacred assembly, to gather the people. Now, when you read gather, we're so American, for those of you that are Americans in here, Western, when we see gather the people, we automatically biggie-size it to a stadium. You know, we think McDonald's, gather the people, and we think, we think the municipal auditorium, Phil Bartle Hall, don't biggie-size it. Gather the people might mean two people. It really probably does mean that mostly. Gather the two, your two friends. And if you don't have any, make them and bring them. <laughs> Everyone's like, I don't have any friends back home. Well, make them. Like, go, like, get a, find a lost person, get them born again, and then disciple them. There you go. You got them. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. So there, these three words, consecrate, sacred, and sanctify. There are three words which all basically mean the same thing. Set it as a priority. Set, make this a priority in your life as a leader. And the Lord will be zealous for his people and have compassion. And he will pour out his spirit. Obviously, this is a, uh, 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 there's a large yet future fulfillment of this on a global scale. But the Lord, because he's, he never changes, he gives down payments and tokens of this reality. B. So, Joel called the people to consider the gathering to the Lord. And again, I'm just identifying what a sacred assembly is. What makes it sacred? What makes it solemn? There are prayer meetings where where we gather together and they're they're sacred to the Lord because they're sacred in our attitude in terms of the meeting. But the the main thing I want to hit is they're sacred in terms of the priority of our schedule. And where I'm going with this is we as leaders who have a vision for this, we can't just organize the thing and then wind it up and let it go. We have to be ruined by the vision, be given to the place of fasting, weeping, mourning, mourning, tearing our hearts, and to this place of, of, of these sacred and solemn assemblies to where they have top priority. And, and, and what I've seen in my own life and in the lives of my friends that are leaders that the most difficult people to gather for sacred assemblies are the are leadership, because they're they're busy with ministerial activities which are God given, and they they are the, the the leadership of the body of Christ all over the earth is uh, carrying a heavy load, but the the delusion comes in that the load is heavier. It will it will be more difficult to bear if we make time for prayer and fasting.
in all honesty, the Lord has set it up, and I've seen it over seven years, and it is fascinating. We always end up going on these monthly global bridegroom fasts or these long extended fasts once or twice a year, and they always seem to come up right in the middle of deadlines and big responsibilities and stuff. And I have seen it year after year after year after year the faithfulness of God to make a way and we actually get further in the Lord and protect what we have received so far by making this a priority in our schedule. And where I'm going is as leaders, we have to buy into this because it's only only what the leadership of any given body of Christ is doing in the recent weeks and months is the very thing that the people will, will, will do. It's only when leaders lead that the people will willingly follow when it's reflected in their own life. So I want to highlight the very bottom of B. What does it mean to sanctify the congregation? Again, it's we sanctify the people under our leadership by giving them permission to, to pull back from some of the superfluous activities of our different responsibilities, if that's possible, and to be given to the place of prayer. Some of you are not in full-time ministry. You're in a full-time job in the marketplace. This is absolutely doable for you. But the problem comes with the, the, the place to trim and to make room for these activities. It do, typically has to have other things trimmed, specifically recreation and other diff, different parts of our life. But it's absolutely doable. I did it myself for a couple, three years in the marketplace, full-time job. And it really is doable. And it's, it's doable in weakness, not in power and strength. Everyone assumes that those in the full-time marketplace, that there's just this power flowing in the prayer room when the intercessors are in there. And it's just not true. We're in there and we just feel this is bad on a fasting day as they do. I mean, it's just the fact, fact of life. And so you just have a hard time resisting all that stuff in fasting as anybody else does, whether you're working in the marketplace or in the prayer room. Uh, then there's a declaration. Hear this, you elders, the leadership of the body of Christ. That's us. In other words, give ear to this message. And, and he's specifically referring to the overall message of the book of Joel, which is threefold and, and a real summary form. It's that there is a mounting crisis that you do not perceive that's coming. And there is a an outpouring of the Spirit that is also on the horizon if you repent in light of the mounting crisis. And so there's these three activities. There's a mounting crisis. There's the necessity of a wholehearted response and an outpouring of the Spirit if we give ourselves wholly to the Lord. The difficulty comes in staying in a place of tenderness before the Lord where we don't um, quickly brush off the reality that there really is coming a great global crisis to the planet and a great global outpouring, and that which will cause the wheat and the tares, the wicked and the righteous to mature at the same time. Both are going to mature at the same time. Write this passage down. Zephaniah 1 verse 12. Key passage. That there will be a common spirit, this common spirit in light of this uh, 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 coming hour, where leadership, they will, they will be settled in complacency, and their complacency will be manifest in this way. They will say, the Lord, the Lord will do no good, and the Lord, he will do no evil. That's the definition of a complacent spirit. In other words, it's a cynical spirit which says, you know what? 
things are just going to stay as they are. Things have continued as they always have been. There's not a great coming crisis. When it says the Lord will do no evil, it's not talking about a moral evil act. It's talking about that the Lord will not judge. Like they don't believe that the Lord is going to judge the wickedness in in a manifest way. And he really is. And they don't, they don't have a conviction that there really is a coming outpouring of the spirit. And complacency is defined by not being connected to those two realities in this context. And that is the very thing that, that is the message of the book of Joel. Now again, the reason I'm highlighting this is because one of the reasons that makes the place of intercession, intercession sacred isn't just that God likes intercession, though he does, and that the fact that he's prescribed it, though he has, or the fact that he's commanded us and given us the invitation to participate with him in it. It's also solemn and sacred because of what's coming. And he wants the, the ones, he's right now, he's, he's going over the earth, searching for men and women, young and old, of all nationalities, who will make a wall, who will, for the judgment and the crisis that's coming, that, that he will actually relent from doing harm and leave a blessing. And that there would be a, 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 a drawing back of some of the planned judgments that are in his heart, of which we have a significant role in averting. As the body of Christ. Page two. Turn the page. Corporate intercessory worship. Very key phrase. Though I'm not saying that all of you have to have a worship element to your prayer meetings. Most, a lot of you might not on the front end. Don't feel like you can't start until it happens. Just get a guy that knows three chords and you can really go for it. Really can. That's what we did. So. Corporate intercessory worship. This is where you want to have your vision, where you want to set your sight, because the Lord does, He does, He governs the entirety of His kingdom through this reality. It's a corporate reality, it's a worshipful reality, and there's an intercessory reality. So we're to gather people to this threefold reality. This is the primary means that God has chosen to release His government, as I mentioned. Psalm 2, it's a powerful psalm. Psalm 2 talks about, um, how Jesus declares, he's as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, he declares God's decrees back to him as the word of the Father. And by the mere act, as both God and man, of, of reciprocating the thoughts, plans, and intentions of the Father, he gives voice to them. That's one reason why Jesus is called the word of God. He gives voice to the heart of the Father. And by the mere giving voice to it, the Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity, moves upon the speaking of the Father's heart and moves in power and brings into action what the Son speaks. And that's the very dynamic participation that we're invited into. But it doesn't feel dynamic. We speak the word. And the Holy Spirit moves on it in power. And we're a part of a concert of prayer which goes far beyond time and far beyond location. But there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, and the Psalm 2 describes the intercessory dimension of God's government. The Father says, if you speak to me the decrees I give to you, my son, I will give you your inheritance. In other words, ask me for it. Why would God just have God ask him for his inheritance when he is God and perfect? There's a mystery and a majesty to intercession, which will blow our mind as it unfolds over the years. 
Psalm 22, you can remember it easily, 2 and 22, describes not the intercessory portion, but describes the worship portion. It says that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. He's enthroned on the praises of his people. That doesn't just mean that God is somehow ideologically lifted high when we worship in, in 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 an ideological sense. No, when we worship, we are participating in an offensive governmental stance. In worship, because in intercession is agreeing with what God wants to do, and worship is agreeing with, with who He is. Both are forms of agreement which release power on the earth. So worship, God's enthroned. When a king sits enthroned, it's from that place that he makes decrees and things change by his command. So when we worship, God moves on our behalf for his glory as a king and he is enthroned. He makes decisions and judgments in the context of worship. But by just, by just saying, I love you, spiritual warfare is conducted in the I love you between you and the Lord. One of the highest forms. Roman, uh, Roman, or not Roman numeral, letter E. There's a corporate dimension. Most of us, if pressed, we would want to do intercession alone, at least for a season. And then once you are sick of being by yourself, you want to get with a couple of friends, and then they start bugging you after two or three months. And then you want to go back to doing it alone. But the Lord is a father. He has a family. And the corporate element is so crucial. It's so crucial. It's in the corporate gathering where we uh, have a have a valuing of one another, we 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 have a because of a common sacrifice. Like I get up, you know, early in the morning. I go to the prayer room and I see the fifty people in the prayer room, and I know what they had to do to get there. I know the cost element, and there is a camaraderie and a relationship and a valuing because I know what it costs them to make it work. I know how life works. I know I know that the kids. Stay up and they, you know, someone's sick and this and the other, but we show up regardless the next morning. And I know that common sacrifice and it binds us together. But the Lord in the corporate setting also crucifies all of our self-preferences. It's impossible to manage a room's all how they would do their time with the Lord. Corporate intercessory worship is not about your personal devotional time mostly. It's about corporately crying out as a body for a breakthrough of God, for the benefit of others, and for His glory. But we still have preferences like, man, it's too loud, it's too soft, it's too bright, it's too dark, it's too harsh, it's too melancholy, the music. It's too cold, it's too hot. The chairs are too uncomfortable, my back hurts, I need a soft chair. Like, it just, the list goes on and on and on. And there is a difficulty and a rigor of doing corporate prayer together. But he documents our weaknesses before each other's eyes. It's one of the glories of it. I see how profoundly weak everyone, because the weakness is documented, not by just saying, brother, I see that you're weak, let me help you. It's never documented like that. It's documented like you, you get mad and you say something dumb, and then you go repent, and it's documented. Your weakness was just documented. That's how it's documented. And so uh, uh, there's so many different dynamics of why it's crucial, why it's crucial that, that we um, do it together in a corporate setting. There has to be an intercessory dimension. I've already hit that. I just want to hit the worship one more time. That it's in the context of prophetic music. 
that uh, a spirit of inspiration and a spirit of unity happens in music that is um, not as easily found apart from it. It's why it, when you possibly, some of you might sit in a, in a war movie or a war scene in a movie and the, you know, the theater may be this large and you're sitting there and there's the scene that comes up. No words, just boom, 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 boom. And it's that soft drums and, and the guys, you know, the, the, the army colonels getting in his, in his army uniform, the swords going in da, da, and you're starting to feel stuff and no one's saying anything. Why? It's the power of music. The heart can be touched and communicated, bypassing the mind, bringing an entire room together who's completely come from different spheres of life uh, ten minutes before the movie started, and brought in a in a in a at least an introductory way in a place of a unified context. Now you mix that with the spirit, and it ends up exploding into a dynamic thing over 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 time. So the music part is crucial. It's not just nice, though it is nice. It's crucial. Otherwise, it wouldn't be around God's throne. Anything that happens or anything that exists near to the throne of God, as described as no other place, like no other place, is Revelation 4 and 5, much music and song and incredible lights and all kinds of stuff. If it is that close to the throne of God and that significant that it happens night and day, day and night, never ending... It's significant. It's not a secondary thing. My point isn't to make you feel like you can't start till you have worship, but you really want to move that direction, regardless of how weak it is. So we have just a couple minutes left, and I just want to hit um, uh, some of the pressures and some of the pleasures that we will face. Um, look at the end of, of A there. We must seek to lay a foundation of how we as leaders sustain ourselves and the ones we lead, even if it's one or two, in, in these sacred gatherings of corporate intercessory worship. Um, we have to, we, we have to, uh, lay this foundation of, of how we sustain these. And one of the ways that we do this is by, uh, uh, experiencing the pleasures of intercession as well as being girded for the pressures that are undoubtedly coming. And some of you may already be in. And I've listed about seven on seven pleasures and five pressures here. Just going to mention them quickly, and we'll end. And about we'll end in just a couple minutes. Number one, pleasure. Obviously, intimate communion and partnership with Jesus. Most people honestly don't think of that when they think of an intercessory prayer meeting. Most people think if I'm praying for others, how how do I enter into that place of intimacy with God? Well, I'll just say this because I can't. Def- explain it right now there's a uh, divine trap awaiting you as you pray for others because you cannot there's a principle in the kingdom you cannot outgive god whatever you give he will not be seen as the one who did not give more back to you right it's like money it was anything time if you serve or give extravagantly whatever the context the lord will not go down documented in your lifetime as the one who did not give more so if you give of your time for others, he will reciprocate your very prayers for others right back to you and your family. Guaranteed. So when I pray, oftentimes, whenever, whatever prayer you hear me or others praying on the microphone at IHOP, I am planning on the boomerang. Whatever I'm needing, I'm just focusing it for my friends, knowing that that boomerang is going to come right back and get me. Very purposeful. Um, 
Number two, the revelation of intercession is in itself a pleasure, which most of the churches don't have a revelation of, though, though we're on pursuit of it. Many, many people I find love worship and they like uh, music, but they do not have an, a revelation of the authority of corporate intercessory worship. Loving music and the atmosphere of worship is not the same thing as having a revelation of intercession. So we have to posture ourselves to ask the Lord for more insight on that. I want to, you can read the rest of the pleasures on your own. I want to jump down and hit a couple of the pressures and then we'll come to a close. <clears throat> Look at number two. There's a pressure that all of us will face to succumb to the pressure to produce something by going and doing something for God because we don't feel like we're accomplishing anything. And, uh, that is a pressure that if you're experiencing that, I'm, I'm informing you so that you know it's normal. So you're not thrown off or taken back by that feeling and by that pressure. And it's an issue of our identity that, that most of us were born in our fallen nature to find our identity in what we produce, not in who we are before God. And so it's crucial that we answer that pressure in the right way. Number three, this is kind of the real heart of the pressure I wanted to hit, especially in the house of prayer movement in the nations. There's a pressure to succumb to modern church culture of the need for explosive growth, dynamic meetings, and instantaneous measurable impact. Do not succumb to that pressure. It will take you off on the wrong path. There is a, there is a pressure that we have to have explosive growth before we do anything, and that's the big goal, to get the room full. I understand that when you have more people praying and more people on the worship team, it eases the burden. But maybe you should ease the burden off taking the 24 hours a day, seven days a week, down to just a few prayer meetings a week, and doing them strong with all of your heart. Don't put the burden on the people in the full room. Mike Bickle, in his early days when he was a pastor, led mostly three times a day, two hours, six hours of prayer meetings a day for 16 years straight with five people in the room, max, on average, for 16 years. That's one of the hidden parts of that birth IHOP that many people don't know about. That small little clan that was stayed faithful in that place. That is the way of the kingdom. That is the Lord's way. We don't have to feel the pressure to have a dynamic meeting to keep people there or returning. Though I like dynamic meetings. You don't have to like be opposed to them. I like that feeling of a dynamic meeting. But to have to pull it off in our strength every time, we don't have to feel that. And then the, uh, lastly, number four, we don't want to uh, succumb to the pressure to overpromise the timing of a particular breakthrough. We don't want to overpromise it. We can we can uh, contend for a breakthrough in the present today, but we can't overpromise and put a bunch of ifs and the pressure on the people unless we have an unusual clarity given by the Lord and verified by the body in your context. Um, and I'll leave that at that. But you really want to read David's example of how careful he walked in terms of the timing of the Lord and uh, in, in his life. Conclusion, and we'll end with this. Intercession, there's a mystery to it. Revelation 8, I really encourage you to read about the, the mystery of it. It is profound, the mystery of intercession. There's a majesty to it, that Jesus lives forever uh, and will govern his kingdom by intercession. And we will rule and reign with him in like manner. But there's also a mockery dimension to intercession. 
It's the First Corinthians one twenty seven principle. In other words, there is a there's a commitment in the heart of God that He will use only the foolish things to run His kingdom, and you will not ex- escape the feeling of being weak and foolish in this thing. How weak is it to just tell God back to Him what He tells you to tell Him? Talk about foolish. The Lord says, if you do that, I will topple kingdoms. It, it's like, it's that simple. So Matt, what am I supposed to do? I'm with a group or I'm with a buddy and we want to start a prayer meeting. How do we do it? Do it. Well, how, we, how do we get connected? How do we get resources? We've got resources on our web. Go back home. Lock into how many times you can do it in your this sphere and in your strength consistently with a group of two or three people. Guy, try to get a gu- guy with a guitar there, even a guy that's just learning. Two or three chords and just just begin uh, doing a corporate intercessory prayer meeting and stay faithful with it. And when that feeling of what are we doing, why are we doing this comes up, begin to answer it. Um, with the truths that Jesus has set forth in Psalm 2, Psalm 22, and also Revelation 4 and 5 of the uh, the governing mecha- uh, tool of worship and intercession around God's throne. We have already gone two minutes over, so I'm going to end fast. So we don't have time for questions, but let's go ahead and stand. Now I want just to pray a 10-second prayer over you. And we'll just begin, if you don't mind, I don't, uh, we really have to start Ryan in the next session. And so I will go out with you all if a couple of you have questions. So don't come up to the front, I'll go out with you. Father, we ask in this time, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts concerning the doability of corporate intercessory prayer meetings over the years to stay faithful. Lord, keep before us the rewards, the pleasures, and equip us and prepare us to stay steady under the pressures, Lord. Even when friends or family or other people don't see the value of it, Lord. Like the sons of Zadok, Lord, we ask that you would empower us to keep the charge that we would be like a wall as a person standing in the gap because of the coming crisis and the coming outpouring of the Spirit, Lord. We want to be wholly yours. Lord, I ask you that you would empower and give permission to the weakest in here that they can do this. Let not a person in this room leave this conference thinking we'll never be able to do what they do. Lord, I ask that you would that you would cause that thought to be pushed back in a great and mighty way, Lord, by your power, and release the um, the, the the wisdom of partnering with you in the foolish ministry, the so-called foolish ministry in the eyes of men called intercession and worship with other weak people. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.